All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this week's Action for Everyone for this here February 19th, 2023. I am, as always, your host, Mike Scott. Uh, we have a guest today, but I do want to also shout out before we get into that. It is good friend of the show, Andy Gorham's birthday today. Happy birthday, Andy. Enjoy yourself. Hope you have some fun. Uh, as you know, you are one of the first listeners of this show, and we love you to death, man. Uh, I am joined by Vice Victus. Vice, how are you? Man, look at us doing big things once again like you know we're just a couple of dudes hanging out having a good time on sunday morning you know i got I, I, we have regular due problems woke up had a bunch of teeth real fast you know mistaken it's all good look at us in the presence of greatness that's how we do stuff here you know that's us good to be here baby good to be here yes and liam o'donnell liam how are you today I'm doing great. And uh, I'll just say, speaking of uh, in the presence of greatness, I got to go to the uh, DGA's Meet the Nominees yesterday. yesterday, And um, I, I kind of reported on that on a, on a little bit of a Twitter thread last night, but it was uh, it was a real thrill to uh, it's only the second time I've been in the same room as Steven Spielberg. And it, like he, he walked by like about three feet from me on the aisle and it was like, ah, just like a shot of adrenaline right up your spine. Like there he is. There's the man. And uh, and I would say he's kind of like the king of the DGA. Like everybody just all the like, you know, Todd Field, all these other great directors up on stage. Every question they have, they're just kind of like, well, he should be answering this. <laughs> like, like what, why, why do you want to know what I'm doing? Like like everyone just turned and talked to him. So uh, it was a real, real thrill. Um, and and uh, continuing on just a, a, a really inspiring weekend. Uh, I'm excited to have our guest here with us. My my big thrill um, several years back was getting Steven Spielberg to laugh at my daughter's joke. Ah. <laughs> Can't wait to which hear was uh, which was when I told my daughter, uh, who's then a, a, a young teenager, uh, that I was going to meet Steven Spielberg. She said, "That's so amazing! It's like you're meeting Michael Bay's opposite." <laughs> <laughs> and I told uh, I told uh, uh, Mr. Spielberg that, and he just burst out laughing. And he he was like, "Maybe that's she's so right. Maybe that's why I get along with Michael so well because we are opposites." <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Well, that voice you heard is from our guest this week. Uh, he has written. Uh, some shit that you definitely know about. He has written X-Men First Class. He has written Thor. He's written Agent Cody Bakes. He's worked on Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, The Flash. Uh, his most recent work is uh, Rim of the World, available on Netflix. Zach Stentz. Zach, how are you today? Doing fantastic uh, on this beautiful Sunday morning. So, Zach, one of the reasons we wanted you on the show above and beyond all the stuff you've done is, um, you know, we are a podcast that's focused on action films. And and with Liam here being a, a working filmmaker and, and some of our other guests, we do try and, and help our audience because uh, there's a lot of aspiring filmmakers, action writers and stuff in our audience. And we try and help them understand some of the formula, some of the techniques. And a few weeks ago, you retweeted and then added to a thread on uh, action screenwriting and how important it is. And one of the things that I think really stuck out for me, and it's something that Liam has also hit on, is um, not going into too much detail in your screenplay on the action and uh, and and that. And so before we get into your career, do you mind kind of just talking a little bit about that and what inspired you to sort of retweet that and then also add to it? 
Yeah, um, I'll be uh, I'll be straight up and say that uh, I'm I'm in the process of going out with a new action screenplay um, that I'm really proud of, uh, spec script that uh, that my brother and I wrote actually, and um, and we're going out with uh, with uh, the company uh, Story Kitchen, which was founded by uh, Derek Kolstad, who you probably know from John Wick at the John Wick films and Nobody, and um, Derek and his crew are you know they know everything about action and uh they it kind of took us through on a couple of passes of the script to pu yeah, li literally punch up the punch up the action and i found it to be so illuminating and the principles that were being uh that were being imparted to me even though i've been doing this for a living for 20 years now um, were so kind of useful and valuable that uh, you know I wanted to I wanted to share them with other people because I do have a certain number of people you know um, both working and aspiring uh, screenwriters who uh, who follow me and uh, and I thought it would be a fun little uh, I thought it would be a fun little workshop for uh, for everyone so so that's you know I don't know what it says about me that uh, that uh, when I learn something new the first thing I want to do is uh, is uh, go go tell other people about it. Well, I think that's I think that's a natural inclination and that's a good inclination to, you know, because filmmaking is such a collaborative process. You don't you know, you, you don't want to keep necessarily all that stuff to yourself. I think I think it, it helps to share it. Yeah, no. And, and, you know, when I was starting out, it was like the dawn of the Internet and there were not the resources out there that there are now. Now you have like, you know, you have all these great working screenwriters and working directors out there giving it away for free. But like literally the only web resource when I started was, um, and it was a wonderful one, but it was all there was, was, uh, if you remember, um, uh, Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio's, uh, website word player. Um, and, uh, and like they were, you know, so, so, it, you know, they, they, they were, were kind of intimidating too, though. They would have these posts that being like, you want to be a writer, like say goodbye to your family and all this shit. <laughs> I, would be, I would just be like, oh man, is this, a, is this the right thing that I'm doing with my life? But I remember yeah. they, yeah, they but kind they of had threw great, down the gauntlet a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But they had like great nuts and bolts stuff in Absolutely. there at the, at the same time. And I wanted to, you know, like I, I want to kind of carry that on and of uh, that kind of tradition of paying it forward a little bit. Well, but I, I, it's it funny that you, better. <laughs> yeah, I, it's funny because I I could tell there was a, there was a, a Derek, uh, you know, influence in the thread. Um, because I, I, I got to work with him on, um, a script of mine that he came on to rewrite and it, it was, uh, a similar experience to what you had, except there's also like the, the greatest feeling in the world is when he wouldn't change an action scene that I wrote. I was like, yes, that means it was good. But uh, he, I, I found like one of the bigger lessons from him was like, I always like overcomplicate these scripts with so much um, sci-fi kind of like doodads and, and devices. And he just leaned it all out and was like, you just don't need it. You don't need to explain that. And it would be like long stretches. I, I already wanted the script to have long stretches of silence but then he would punctuate after those long stretches of silence with these like really great monologues, which is very much John Wick too, you know, like that is kind of his, his calling card. So uh, it's, it's just funny that you said that, but um, I, I, I do want to kind of go through some of the, the advice, which was first was, um, you know, pay particular attention to how they begin and how they end, which is, I think such great advice and, and something I've had in my career as well, where it's like, 
um, that that's kind of especially if you're if you're even a director or, or or a writer, it's like you're handing it off to other people, and they need to know where it ends up, where it gets to. But what actually happens in the middle is give let let them put their print imprint on it. You know, let them fill in that drama. Uh, I think is really smart. Yeah, and and you know, at the end of the day, an action a good action scene is its own little three act movie inside of the inside of the bigger movie it has a beginning it has some kind of a turn um a reversal and then it has a and then it it should end on a memorable note it's almost like like when you watch an action scene and you see like there's there's the wides with the moves and then there's going to be a turn like you're saying and that's the moment where you're going to stop and you're going to get your close-ups of the two actors and then you're going to have a resolution and so when you're writing the scene, basically write it for the camera in a way. And that way the audience, which is, you know, the reader kind of understands, okay, that those are those shots that I'm getting, but the actual action itself could be much longer and more intricate once you bring in your team. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's, 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 you know, what, what is the, you know, what is the camera seeing? And then it's, and then it's, what is the act, what are the actors playing? I mean, that's, that's one thing that, Again, I've been doing this for 20 years, but it took a weirdly a long time to kind of get through my head the idea that you're writing you're writing something for actors to play, and you want you know, and uh, and when an actor is reading it, they want it's like, oh, I just did that, yeah, you know, like you know, <laughs> you you want you want that, you know, like we're we're writing a my brother and I were writing a fight scene, and my uh, my brother sent me this YouTube. My brother's a boxer. So he sent me this YouTube video of this boxer who's winning a fight with one of his own shoulders dislocated, like, and, uh, you know, it's, and it's this amazing thing. And he's like, we got to do something like this. It's like how he still wins, even though his, you know, one of his shoulders is popped out of its socket. Oh, I love it. I love it. I can't wait to, to, for this movie to get made. Um, me too. <laughs> there, there was something else that you were saying in there um, about, uh, 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 basically you're kind of um, reinforcing one of the tenets of the show, which is hook your actors up and you're kind of saying it in your own words. So I just wanted to underline that for the longtime readers is that, yeah, it, it, you're kind of, you're, you're looking for those, those moments and you're, you're I mean, so much of, of the job is attracting that first actor to say yes to this thing. Cause once that happens, almost everything else can fall into place. But when you're saying another thing in the thread about like, pay attention to the bits of business. And this was another thing that I felt like I learned from the last movie I did into the, the new script. It is that I tried to declutter some of the bits of business stuff within the fights, because even when you just write a simple thing about like a mag reloading in a cool way, if, if it's in the middle of a bigger scene, it's just extra shots and time that you don't necessarily need. Just make sure you actually need it. And for me, it would be like, oh, her claw doesn't work. It does work. And why is that happening? And then uh, this person tries to save her, but then the other guy is going to save her, but then he can't save her. And it's like double reverses. And I, I just realized I was spending my whole day shooting the action scene, just getting all these eye lines. And I was like, man, it would probably would have been better off if I just spent more time, you know, actually doing uh, the action rather than just getting all these looks to to land this this busy moment. 
yeah, I, I, I feel like those moments a lot of times are best, you know, like, like to, to have happen right before the action, right before the action starts, you know, like if, if he's racking a shell into the, into the chamber, it's like, you know, you, you know, and it, he's got the sniper rifle and he's checking windage and stuff like that. That's doing something because it's winding up the audience and it's like, oh, shit's going to go down. But, you know, once once it starts, you know, when, once it starts, you don't want, you know, you want the audience to be in the story. You don't want them them popping out of it to think about think about business all the time. And you know what? It's even just from a practical standpoint, when you said that, it's like also the lighting is all set up at the beginning of the action scene. The actors standing where, you know, we've we've blocked out the scene for the day. Get all the good stuff there, because once they start moving, shit's going to be, you know, messier and you're not necessarily going to get. All, all or have the time to perfectly light every single insert that you're kind of moving through, especially on like an indie film schedule. So another great kind of practical advice into for the audience and also just making your days as a director. Um, I remember watching, uh, it was one of the project green light seasons and uh, you know, like the old, you, you know, the old line producer is uh and uh, the stunt coordinator there and, uh, you know, they're realizing that they're they're having to knock things out because they're not going to make their days. And uh, one of them just looks and is like, the morning you're doing Gone with the Wind and the afternoon you're doing Dukes of Hazard." <laughs> so true. So true. Um, I, I want to see if there's anything else in, in the thread. Um, did you guys have anything else in that that you wanted to uh, to ask Zach about or or, or add? Okay. Yeah, no, well, not. I think that was uh that was great. It was so fun to talk a little bit of uh of of craft. I'm sure we'll get more into it as we go, but um Mike, bring us back. Tether us to reality. <laughs> All right. So, Zach, we always like to kind of start with people's uh origin story a little bit and 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 like I mentioned before we started recording, one of the things that that I think is really interesting about your career is you did not start out as a filmmaker. You actually were a journalist for uh, a significant amount of time. Yeah, that's that's very true. My uh, my college degree is in journalism from UC Santa Cruz. Go Slugs! Um, and uh, I had wanted to be a screenwriter, but you know, it was it was one of those things. It was the '90s. I had no idea how to how to actually do it. So it was kind of a hobby that you know, like I would uh, I would go and work for a weekly newspaper during the day, and then I'd go home and make dinner, and uh, and then go into my little home office on my little Mac Classic and uh, write my little write my little screenplays, and uh, did that for several years. And, um, you know, we were up in uh, Northern California at the time. And then my, my wife and I moved to the, uh, moved to the, after she graduated from law school, we moved down to LA and then it was like, okay, are you going to really try to do this for a living or not? And it's, it's like, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to roll the dice. I'm going to network with everyone that I can, even though I'm really bad at that kind of stuff. And, you know, once, once we moved to LA, it took about, uh, uh, about two more years to, uh, to break in. And I had a writing partner at the time um, who I had met on the internet. Um, and uh, we got hired, uh, you know, in 2000 on a uh, syndicated action hour, if you remember what those were, you know, like Hercules and Xena, except this was this was kind of the level below that. This was the, the show Kevin Sorbo did after Hercules. It was Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda. 
where we're making sci-fi for uh, $1.1 million an episode in a, uh, in a rainy where, you know, in a leaky warehouse in Vancouver. And it was the best job in the world because I was getting paid to make television because I was getting paid to make television. And also, you know, we had these 22 episode a season orders and a really small writing staff. So like we were writing like six episodes each season, you know, like, like we ended, we ended like three, three seasons, you know, we, we quit after three seasons um, and we had like 20 credits, you know, 20 writing credits at that point. And, you know, nowadays with these short seasons and these uh, you know, you do eight episodes every two years you know, meeting people who are who are supervising producers and co-executive producers who have written like four episodes of TV. It's 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 so it's so different than it was uh, than it was then. So it was a it was a great kind of crucible and great, uh, great school to uh, to learn one's craft in. Well, and unlike a lot of those syndicated shows, I mean, the Andromeda in the realm of syndicated TV was a pretty big hit. I mean, the thing ran for like, I want to say five seasons or something. Yeah, it ran for five seasons. Yeah. So, you know, to have that be your first real job, that's a, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, no, it was, it was a good first, it was a good first job. Um, it, it was, uh, it, and, uh, you know, met some great people and, uh, you know, it was the that was the transition from from journalism to uh, to uh, screenwriting, you know, to screenwriting as a professional. And for the first year, I didn't really believe that it was happening. So I was still like I, I, I was doing red carpet coverage for Entertainment Weekly. And I continued to do it my first season because I was like, you know, I got to cover my bases here in case the screenwriter, in case this, you know, what if I bomb out? What if, what if, what if we end up sucking? <laughs> you know, so, uh, so it wasn't, uh, you know, I, I didn't stop doing that for, for a while. And then it was like, yeah, you know, at a certain point, you've got to choose which, which, which side of the, which side of the fence that you're on. And, uh, and uh, I, I, I chose the one where you get to just make stuff up. How much like how much like, um, you know, like it sounds it sounds like it's a great job and that there wasn't like a ton of like network pressure or meddling in that type of thing. Right. Like were you guys kind of like left to your own devices up there? No, not really. They were actually they gave us no money and they were like horrible, you know, <laughs> Tribune Entertainment. They were micromanagers. They they fired our boss and our friend uh, Robert Wolf, who who hired us on the show a season and a half into it because, uh, you know, he was quote unquote, the, the, the episodes were too smart. Um, you know, and they wanted, uh, you know, they wanted Hercules, you know, he wanted to do this kind of thoughtful space opera and they wanted Hercules in space. Sure. (laughs) And, and then, you know, we worked on it for another year and a half and, and weirdly they kind of left us alone after they, after they fired him because, you know, we were turning in, you know, we're, we're turning in clean copy, as they say, you know, they, they were, they were turning in episodes that they could just shoot. So they, they kind of let us do our own, do our own thing there for, for a while. And we, we tried to kind of, you know, keep the show as, as good as we could, but, but at at a certain point, you got to spread your wings and, and fly. And, and in our case, we flew to, um, the UPN remake of the Twilight Zone, which only lasted a season. That was the one that Forrest Whitaker was the, uh, was the Rod Serling. If you remember that, if you remember that. And, uh, and we lasted half a season on that. And we did agent Cody Banks at the same time. 
And, um, you know, it, and weirdly, because of the production schedule, we still had Andromeda episodes that we were written showing. So there was like one week in like March 2003, where, where we had like, Cody hit the theaters, our episode of the Twilight Zone was on, and then we had an episode of Andromeda on and we we're like, yeah, we've got this, we're going places. And then we didn't work for three years. <laughs> <laughs> kings of the world kings of the world well, i i mean you have to talk about the cody banks is was, tell us how that was that a spec um it was a spec by someone else it was a spec by a by a very nice young man who um i think he had been like a limo driver or something and he had like a teenage james bond spec and it had some, you know, it had some really fun stuff in it, but it was clear that he was not an experienced writer. And um, so so people brought us, you know, people who we knew um, asked us to come in because we're cheap and fast from working on TV, <laughs> fast, cheap and out of control. Right. right, right. Um, we uh, we came in and we, uh, you know, we, we very kind of extensively rebuilt it from the ground up. And, uh, you know, we laughed, you know, we did several drafts of that. And then we ended up getting um, replaced by uh, Scott Alexander and Larry. Uh, I can't pronounce his last name. Karaszewski, the uh, the people versus Larry Flint guys, because, of course, that's who you get for Agent Cody Banks. The, but they also did Problem Child, you know, like they they. Right. They they have the two sides of the they have the prestige side and the and the uh, pay us money side as well. They did Dolomite, right? Yeah, they did Dolomite yeah. is my name. Yeah, they're they're, um, they're funny. Yeah, they're brilliant guys. Yeah. yeah, brilliant, brilliant guys. It's it's we should be so lucky as to share uh, share screenplay credit with them. Um, and uh, you know we we got invited to the premiere. Got got to hear Keith David telling very funny stories about shooting the thing. Um. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, so it was, you know, like, like it was a, it was a fun experience and, uh, and, uh, you know, heard the stories about, you know, Frankie getting mad because Hillary Duff wouldn't date him. So they're like, they, the producers bought him a Lotus, um, to make it up to him. You know, like, Amazing. <laughs> everyone was, everyone was like, you know, 16, 17 at the time. I'm just looking at like the the box office numbers of this movie and it, it's kind of funny back then like and then now seeing how you know movies like this just you know would would go probably right to Netflix right like right to streaming but like I don't think it was considered like a world beater but the fact that it made like 60 million is actually kind of crazy now cuz oh know, yeah movies don't make that much anymore yeah it was a, you know it was a and, and i think the movie cost like 28 million or something like that so it was a solid it was a solid double you know and and right. and people were still selling dvds too so so and and it did incredibly well on home video so um that's why it got us you know it was it was it was its own little baby franchise yeah, I was going to say it did well enough to get a sequel, you know, and I mean, there was that whole there was this was right in the middle of the era of of Frankie, you know, which was a, if looking back on it now is a bit of a weird like four or five year period. But uh, yeah, I still want to I kind of want to want to revisit it. Don't you kind of want to see the Cobra Kai version of uh, of uh, Agent Cody Banks? <laughs> like, uh, you know, this is, four, this 40 is year the... old, 40 year old, bitter, bitter, you know. Frankie coming back, coming back in to train a new generation. 
Absolutely. I mean, this this is what we're saying is the new the new Top Gun Maverick is that like, you know, you could kind of find a way in on almost all of these movies now. 100% <laughs> watch the out of that. Absolutely. Uh, so, Zach, you, you mentioned after this, you know, you guys had your 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 high on life and then you don't work for three years. And this is something that's come up quite a bit on other guests with other guests we've had on the show. You know, it's I mean, Liam's been going through it for the last couple of years. It does seem to be feast or famine quite a bit. Um, so, you know, if you don't mind me asking, what are you doing during those three years that you're not working? Oh, the thing is, you know, when they say you're not working, you're working. You're just no one's paying you. Um, <laughs> Hollywood is absolutely filled to the brim with companies that are delighted for you to work for them for free. Um, yeah, sorry, did I say free? On spec. Um, so what we're doing is, you know, we're writing specs. We're going out on every meeting that our, our agent was was putting us up for. Um, we were, we were chasing after every ball, um, for lack of a, uh, for lack of a better term. And, you know, like we, we, we ended up getting a pilot, you know, like, I think we, we did sell a pilot for just a tiny amount of money. Um, a secret service, yeah, a pilot about the secret service, um, that didn't end up going. And then, um, and then, uh, you know, as it looked like we were about to kind of fall out of the industry entirely, we um, we sold a uh, a really cool uh, spec to uh, to Disney, a kind of Indiana Jones spec about uh, you know the young physicist Richard Feynman fighting the Nazis in uh, in World War II um, to uh, find a crashed alien spaceship, uh, and that unfortunately didn't end up getting made, but it, it kind of uh, reignited us a little bit. But then what really, you know, as, as things were looking really, really dire again, we managed to get hired onto the uh, Sarah Connor Chronicles. And that was really what, uh, and we, we switched agencies. Um, and, uh, and, and it was the Sarah Connor Chronicles that, uh, that really kind of reignited us and kind of helped us help, helped our, our climb back up. We started getting, you know, we started getting good feature meetings again and, uh, and that ended up indirectly leading to, uh, to Thor and X-Men first class. So talk about well, a show that has no business working. Um, like the entire concept of the Sarah Connor Chronicles is ridiculous to me. And yet it is one of the most amazing TV shows I've ever seen. Uh, I am, uh, I did a big on another show that I used to do. I did a big dive in all the Terminator movies and the whole Terminator franchise. And I ended up, this is, this is my hot Terminator take. I actually rank Sarah Connor Chronicles behind Terminator one. I, it's my second favorite thing in the entire franchise. Um, and so, you know, that's too hot, but it, it's it's maybe the third. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, the reason why, and this is the big reason why, if you listen to those episodes, you'll see that I have a, I have a thesis about Terminator, which is that it has a John Connor problem. And once they decided they wanted John Connor to be a major part of that story, it really kind of messed stuff up, except for Sarah Connor Chronicles. That's the one John Connor that actually works for me. Um, and so that to me is what kicks it up. So if you don't mind, talk a little bit about working on that show. 
I mean, it's working on it was one of the best professional experiences of my life. Um, you know, Josh Friedman and John Worth, who are the, the you know, jo- Josh created the show and John was kind of the uh, the the old TV hand to to help th- keep things running. You know, they were, they were just incredibly wonderful and nurturing bosses. And they were determined to do were to do the smart version of the show. You know, you could very easily see the version of that show that was like Terminator of the week. You know, it's like, who do we help this week? And here comes the, you know, here's the new time bubble and here comes the new Terminator. And uh, Josh was just determined not to do that. He was determined to do something much weirder and more thoughtful about, you know, AI and uh, you know what what is uh, what does AI intelligence mean? Something that we're all dealing with now is uh, is uh, you know chatbots go uh, get smarter and smarter and crazier and crazier. Um, you know, so uh, sorry, I think I'm up. Do you do you want out? Sorry, my dog wants out. Um, <laughs> your dogs are are a big part of your your social media, so uh, I yes, think every, they everybody are. loves them. Yes, they are. They're, they're, they're wonderful. So, um, so yes, it, it, it was just, it was just a lot deeper and weirder and more thoughtful than I think anyone was expecting. And unfortunately we're, we're a little, you know, I think we would have done really well on streaming or even as a, you know, FX, uh, uh, cable show, but I think, you know, like, uh, Fox on Friday night, people just didn't know what to, people didn't know what to do with that. And, uh, and you know, but again, it was it was it was so much fun to write for, and 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 it was incredibly challenging. You know, like like Josh just got the best out of all of us. And if you see like you know the things that the different writers have gone on to, they've all everyone from it has gone on to really exceptional things. So yeah, it was a it was a there was one weird period where the show was sort of canceled, but not canceled yet. And we got um, like we, but we had gotten hired on fringe, which was another Warner brothers show. But, but there was a month there where it's like, we could get called back to, you know, like if, if by some miracle, we got a third season, we could get, we could get called away to it, but that didn't end up happening, which was, which was bad creatively. But, uh, but uh, you know, we'd gotten a raise. We would have had to take a pay cut but we probably would have would have willingly done that. You know, I'm I'm trying to remember. I read a Josh Friedman script like probably around 2007 or 2008 because John Davis was the producer on it, and that was after AVP two. Was and that Morphin Don? Yes, yes, and it was like it was one of the more influential scripts I've ever read because it was so confident in the world building and amazing, and it had you know, flavors of Dune and uh, I mean, even kind of like Indiana Jones, it just had such a great uh, like vision. And it was just one of those where I was just like, oh my God, you could just do this. Like he just, he just laid out like this would be, and, and it's one of those things that makes you sad now when, you know, you don't see these type of original sci-fi or original stories being made anymore. But Josh is one of those guys that can do this. He can create it from whole cloth. And uh, it's fun. That, that's a that's a very influential script, I'm assuming, for like almost everyone in our generation. But for me, it really kind of blew my brain open. 
Yeah, it's 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 a terrific script, and it's you know it's definitely you know like if people want you know like Josh is one of those writers who at least until recently he didn't have a lot of credits, but he was he was always very well regarded within the indus industry, and it was because of scripts like that. It was yeah. it was it was kind of uh, you know he he was the he was the great writer who didn't have the big uh, the big stack of uh, of of hit movies. And now he's he's you know he's he's writing the Avatar uh, you know he's one of the writers on the Avatar sequels. So I think yes, yes, he's be kind of become Cameron's like like writing room partner, which is amazing. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, he was in the he was in the the Dark Fate room and the uh, and the uh, Avatar room. Uh, to to uh, Mike, did you watch Fringe? Was that uh, one you wanted to talk about? I watched I didn't watch the whole thing and I certainly didn't obsess over it like I did Sarah Connor Chronicles. But uh, but uh, I did watch a little bit of it. But, uh, you know, uh, yeah, feel free to feel free to talk a little bit about working on Fringe, Josh. Um, Fringe was uh, I mean, Fringe was a really different experience than uh, than uh, Sarah Connor Chronicles. I, I really enjoyed the people that I worked. I really enjoyed the people that I worked with. But it was it was much less of a cohesive uh, writing staff. It was uh, you know like episodes were put together in a more kind of ad hoc way. But um, probably the most fun that that I had on Fringe was um, it was the second season, and they were just kind of kind of putting together what the mythology was. So um, and for some reason, Ash and I, my my partner at the time, ended up writing a lot of the big mythology episodes that kind of laid the the groundwork for the stuff that people really liked about like, you know, the Walter from the other universe and, uh, you know, like like uh, what was going on, you know, what was going on and the kind of war between the two universes and stuff like that. And then you guys get, I, I cannot believe this. I forgot that this was the case, that 2011, literally a month apart, you get both Thor and you talked about that one year, 2003, that you guys were like, we made it. I got to think the summer of 2011, you're feeling like you made it because both Thor and X-Men First Class come out that summer. Yeah, the funny thing is we'd written those like 18 months apart. Like we, we'd written... Uh, um, um, Thor in late 2008 into 2009 and then we wrote um X-Men First Class in spring and summer of 2010 and it it was on the rocket to you know like it was we've got a release date you need to you know you've got like a week to write the script kind of thing um but um but in yeah they came out within 28 days of each other and we we did I I I will remember that um we got invited to uh, kind of the Comic Con of uh, of England called MCM, and um, you know, like showing up in London, and they're taking you from Heathrow to uh, to um, the um, the convention center, and like literally, like every billboard and every like bus sign and things like that. It's like Thor X Men First Class, Thor X Men First Class, and it's like, yeah, we own this town, and you know. <laughs> guess what it happened again i didn't get i mean we were working and we we're getting paid this time but like i didn't get anything produced again for five years after that it wasn't until it wasn't until my first flash episode that uh that i actually had something shot that's insane 
But like, let, let's let's go back to Thor really quick because that was one. I think I read the draft before you guys were on. That was the Matthew Vaughn draft. That was the the full. Oh yeah, the one that uh, yeah the 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 Mark Protasevich uh, the Mark Protasevich one that uh, Matthew Vaughn was attached to. Right, which was full period Lord of the Rings, but similar kind of beats, right? Like Asgard, Earth, Asgard. I'm trying to remember because it's unfortunately. I never, been I never read years that. Ago. Yeah, I never <laughs> read that script. They actually forbade us to 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 read that. They're like, if you find it on the internet, don't read it. We're 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 starting over again. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I I I liked it, but um, I I actually think it felt like you guys. Did, it felt like you guys had kind of a nice, um, obviously, like taking that direction, but then grounding it in the modern day and in this bigger, you know, MCU story that they wanted to tell. But like, this is uh, this is you're you're in the proto MCU. It's a completely different thing from what people think of it now. Can you just I've... take us through that process of of kind of pitching on this and like, w- was it just back in the Manhattan Beach like uh, studios that you know a tiny little room with four people? <laughs> the the first time we pitched wasn't even there it was it was when they were in the Beverly Hills in the office above the Beverly Hills Mercedes dealership if you if you remember that's 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 prior to my time yeah yeah this was like 2007 or something like that we went and pitched and but we didn't pitch on Thor we just we was we were just taking a general meeting with them and then it was like it was right after the writer's strike where I remember Ash and I were in our Sarah Connor Chronicles office desk uh, going like, wow, those Marvel guys are really nice. I wonder what happened to them. And then like l- later that day, we get the call and it's like, can can one of you come in? We want you to read something and you can't you, you need to sign like five NDAs before you can do it. And uh, and it was um, it it was, you know, can you guys write Thor and and. I think honestly, the reason we got the job was this was still the Ike Perlmutter days was um, we're cheap and we're fast and we knew comic books. And that (laughs) wasn't and in 2008. That wasn't a huge the Venn diagram of people who are all three of those things was not super huge. So I I like to think we we nailed the audition, but there was a lot of like being the right people in the right place at the right time. And that was, you know, we worked on that for about six months and a lot of drafts. And um, when did when did Brana come on? He was did, already did on. Work, he, he was he was, he was already, already on. Attached. Oh, great. Um, and there, you know, like we turned in that first draft and um, and there was like a month of like sitting in a room with like Brana, with Kevin Feige, with like several other people and going through that script, not page by page, line by line and, and, and tearing it apart and building it up. And it's like, okay, let's act out this scene. And you're acting, you're doing a scene with Kenneth Branagh. And uh, (laughs) that's amazing. That's amazing. So, so you had a, you had a great experience with him. I've always been a big fan of his. I've always kind of been uh, like, I, I, I even love the ones that people are like, oh, it's Hamlet. I, I think it's, I think he's always, he's always exciting to watch. And I always like, his direction as well. And I think he elevated that movie in a lot of ways um, that you can kind of go back to. Yeah, he was lovely to work with. It it needed that sort of Shakespearean, uh, you know, full-throated gusto. You know, like I I love the moments where where Hopkins is kind of like, you know, 
dressing him down. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's it's a very odd duck of a film. I mean, you've got that, you know, you, you've got like the, the, the story on Asgard and then, you know, suddenly you're on earth and you're in fish out of water comedy. You're, you're doing fish out of water comedy. Um, So, um, so, and I think the biggest challenge was the idea that they were already building towards the Avengers at this point. They had this dim notion that like, we're going to do these films and we're leading towards the Avengers. And as they, I remember very vividly them saying like, if you fail at everything else, you need to give us a good villain in Loki because we feel like the one place Marvel has been lacking um, compared to like the, you know, we don't have our Magneto, you know, like we need our, we need our really cool, interesting villain and not just, you know, a villain who's the same as the hero, but in an even bigger suit of armor, um, you know, which they had had up till up till that point. Um, you know what? It's interesting you say that because I feel like um, even even looking at all of the stuff like he it, it is you guys really did, you know, set this template for, I think, kind of the, you know, the, the best villain in the whole series in a lot of ways and, and one of the best performances and then even the the recent Thor movie to do a Thor movie without Loki, it was like a gaping hole within the within the movie. You're you're just you're like you need that presence. It it's almost like uh, it's a peanut butter sandwich at that point. You're like you need something else in there. Yeah, it's it's not to go all mythological, but like you go back to the original to the prose edda to the to the original stories of uh, of uh, of Thor and the very best ones. They're all Thor and Loki stories, and they're a lot of a uh, you know a lot of the Norse myths are like Thor and Loki getting into wacky adventures together because there's the strong man and there's the clever man, and they, it's and that's this that's just a really good combination. There's a, there's, there's one that I keep wishing that, you know, I, I feel like Taika Waititi could, could, could pull it off. There's a original Prozetta where like they, they lose Thor's hammer and they have to get it back. And Loki dresses Thor as a frost giant's bride um, in disguise. And, uh, and the frost giant is like, it's like you look. Str- my bride looks strange. It's like, oh, she's just happy to see you, <laughs> and, and like Thor smashes the crap out of the frost giant. But it's it's a very funny. St- it, you know, it's it's there. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of comedy even in those are those original stories. Well, and I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but I did always find it annoying that people were like, after the third one, they're like, oh, Thor's funny now. And I'm like, it's funny in the first movie. Like he's, he's, he's downing the beers and smashing them on the ground and saying, bring me another. Like it, it was, it was always there. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I love Thor Ragnarok in particular. I think, I think, I think, you know, to, to in defense of everyone, I think what they like, Thor Ragnarok was the first one in which Thor himself was kind of in on the joke, um, right. you know, but, but yeah, there was humor. There was humor right from the beginning. Yeah. And even, even I will, I'm, I'm going to try not to stop dominating this one guys, but the, I do remember even Favreau said like, I'm a little unsure about Thor working. And it was like, he kind of said that publicly, like, and he's like at that point, sort of the head of the MCU as a director wise. So there was like, there was doubts a lot of doubts and a lot writing on that movie. And it's almost like if that one doesn't work, none of it, none of it else is is ever going to work. Oh, I mean, my wife, when I took, you know, when we took the job was like, you're doing a movie about a space Viking with a magic hammer. 
Like, are people going to want to watch that? Or is this just going to be, is this just going to be a big joke? And, uh, you know, I, I like to, I, I like to think we pulled off, uh, you know, what was a high degree of difficulty there. Vice, anything you want to, you want to ask Zach about on Thor? Not Thor specifically, but I'll wait till we get to it later on because I have a broader question about uh, this wonderful universe you, you created. But please, no, let's go to the timeline tomorrow. This is great stuff. So well, I, yeah, X-Men, right? Yeah. So what's interesting to me here is you contrast these two. So with Thor, you've got, you're coming in right at the start of sort of this building, this shared cinematic universe that has become this behemoth. And with first class, you're in a very different position here because you are coming after, shall we say, some uh, misfires in the X-Men universe. And you are now tasked with kind of riding the ship on this. Uh, and so can you talk a little bit about what it was like working on first class? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, the expectations for that in, in, in sports terms, it was definitely a franchise rebuilding year. It was it was a franchise rebuilding year. That's why, you know, even though X-Men first class actually it, it, it did about the same as what the previous ones is, is, you know, like what the Wolverine movie had done at the first Wolverine movie had done at the box office. But they were really happy with it because people you know, like people enjoyed it and people were like, oh, they made a good, you know, they made a good one again. And I think it, 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 the goodwill from that carried into, carried into days of future past. But um, I, I think it, our biggest contribution to first class, kind of looking back on it, was they had had previous, a lot of previous writers take a crack at that, at that story. And I think what, what they kept coming back to was they kept, you know, it was like, it's going to be young Magneto and it's going to be young, uh, young professor X. And they were like same guys, but younger. And the approach that we took was no, let's see them is the people they were before they became the people, you know, Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen. Let's see, you know, like, Instead of, the, you know, like like in earlier drafts, he was very, you know, even though he was young, he was very professorial. It's like, oh, no, let's see him hitting on chicks in a bar, you know, like 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 let's let's see a much different uh, Charles and a much different Eric, you know, an Eric who's who's kind of young and filled with anger. But, you know, to, to me, the poignance of that of, of the character is he could go either way is is maybe he could maybe you know it's he's filled with anger but maybe he could become a good guy and then it's it's unfortunately events uh events push him in the uh in the other in the other direction so so that was that was the exciting part of it to to me and i think why it's one of the few prequels that really works is that um is that the journey of seeing seeing them evolving towards the characters will will later will will later come to know um is is an exciting and in some places unexpected unexpected journey well and also unlike a lot of prequels it's not filled with a bunch of it's not filled with a bunch of fan service that's like hey you remember this thing from this other movie that you actually like better you know you guys really avoid that it, it, like first class really avoids that it tells its own unique story and so it's like okay yes i can see these characters turning into the people that we know but there's not all these little winks and nods and stuff to it the way there is in a bunch of other prequels that try and kind of replicate the same thing first class did 
Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I mean, the story was already, you know, or at least elements of the story were already in place when we when we came on board. But I really loved the just the audacity of like, let's make it a period piece and let's make it a secret history period piece about how mutants saved us from the Cuban Missile Crisis. I mean, that's that's a pretty audacious that's a pretty audacious idea. And I loved, you know, I remember like um, when Ash and I were working on our drafts of like, of like saying at some point, it's like, you know what this really feels like? This feels like Thunderball. This feels like a this feels like a really fun Connery Bond movie with uh, with mutants. And and you know, to his credit, I think Matthew Vaughn like kind of got that vibe and just like ran with it even further and 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 really has fun giving a lot of it a very kind of 60s bond vibe. Yeah, that that's that's my favorite part about it too. I mean, that aside from you guys kind of I mean, it has like the best scene in all of the X-Men movies with, you know, Magneto hunting down and killing Nazis that feels like, you know, it's 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 one of those scenes that you're like I want a whole movie of a scene, which is uh which is kind of like, you know, magic in itself. Yeah, it's it's funny that scene had actually been in an earlier in an earlier draft, but a very different version of the scene. Like they know immediately who he is, and it's 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 plays much more of an action. It it plays like much more of an action scene in the in the and I think what we did in the rewrite is is play it much more like a suspense scene of like the the kind of slowly dawning realization of like oh shit, this is one of our victims here, and uh, he but he doesn't seem scared. <laughs> it's so good yeah it, it got one of my favorite scenes in any x-men movie and it's one of the most horrifying scenes in any x-men movie which is uh magneto sending the coin through kevin bacon's head and charles filling all of it was that in did you guys come up with that or was that matthew and jane or was that uh, there before you got there um there was a version of it. No, it, there was, we came up with a version of it. And then, and then I think like Matthew and Jane, uh, Matthew and Jane did the, did the slow coin, but did, did the slow coin thing. It was always going to be a coin that, uh, that, uh, that killed him, but it was the, it was always the mystery of like, okay, how do you, how do you, um, get this invulnerable guy? Um, how do you, how do you, uh, how do you manage to, uh, to overcome that? And and they came up with a wonderfully horrifying way of doing that. By far the the, the most horrifying scene in any X Men movie. Um, I know, isn't it funny that like I my kids were very young at the time. I let them see Thor. I didn't let them see X Men First Class. Like like Thor was very much the PG side of PG thirteen, and uh, you know X Men First Class was was this far from an R. Yeah, even that opening when it's like crushing the, the skulls with the helmets and stuff, it's it's pretty hardcore. I love it. Yeah. Cause you know, nothing nothing says kid friendly uh action adventure like opening an Auschwitz. <laughs> <laughs> so so, wait, so um here, price. let me just uh so so far, you know, we got you no know, this is this is pretty um substantial kind of ramping up your career here um so but i just more interested in like a maybe the influences are more like um so you, you've done all these kind of this disparate well uh genre stuff in it mostly but it's still like very disparate in its content you know expert and uh and so i was like i'm wondering like uh what's your where do you, what's your kind of goal or driving force like i mean 
I, I know. I guess. I guess. Understand. On the one hand, there's like, uh, yeah, deliver what what the what the customer wants. But uh, where do you like? Where's where do you see? What would you say your um signature is that uh, helps that helps define these works you done so far? Because again, there. I think that well, just frankly, you know, if people didn't know who your name, they probably wouldn't immediately recognize the, that you did these movies. But yet, as, when you see them, I think that you know th these are. Among the stronger ones of their respective, uh, you know, franchises or, or you know, or, or uh, movies or franchises or properties so far, you know, again, like you know, Terminator, like one of the best Terminator things I ever know. Uh, X Men, one of, one of the better X Men movies. Like, uh, so what do you what do you think? Uh, you know, up through this point, is that your special sauce? Maybe is the way to say it. I don't know. I I that's a really <laughs> good question, but I'm not sure what the answer is. I I I guess if you know. I can tell you what I'm trying to do with with everything that I write, which is which is find a point of even if I'm doing something big in genre, it's finding a point of personal connection and and personal emotional connection um, to my own life in in the in the characters that somehow conveys itself that that somehow conveys itself to the audience, um, and uh, and what that tends to take the form of in a lot of cases is troubled characters trying to become their best selves and sometimes succeeding and sometimes failing and 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 it's it's to me a character whose biggest obstacles in the way of becoming their best selves are internal is is more interesting than one where it's just the whole world is against you so i think it's it's you know, that's those are the themes that that kind of keep coming back to me. Are 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 the again the idea the idea that we can that that we can all be better tomorrow than we were than we were today, but that you have to work for it and that it ain't easy. Um, I, I think that that's probably the thing that 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 you know if if there is a secret sauce in in what i write it's it's uh it's in there you know whether it's it's x men or whether it's you know rim of the world or the flash episodes or uh you know knock on wood a couple of things that i have in the pipeline does that make sense yeah absolutely yeah 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 it's good to see it okay uh so you 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 set up where we're going next right right mike we're going to the flash yeah, you you said you were working for five years, but not getting anything produced until the Flash. So you're, uh, it's interesting, kind of coming full circle. You know, you start on a sci-fi show being filmed in Vancouver, and now you're back on a sci-fi show being filmed in Vancouver. Although, I am curious about the differences there because you know, in terms of uh, like you said, no money on Andromeda. Although not a ton of money on the Flash either. But if I'm not mistaken, your first produced script for The Flash was also uh, one that Kevin Smith directed, correct? It was The Runaway Dinosaur? Yeah, that that was uh, that was the first uh, Flash episode I ever wrote. And uh, and it was um, it came about because I was actually um, um, the Berlanti people had hired me to work on a Booster Gold movie. Um, and I was working on that. But um, but Greg was becoming a, a dad for the first time. And so it was like, OK, but Greg won't be able to interact with you, interact with you for a while. Um, while you're waiting, would you like to write a Flash episode for us? And I was like, 
oh, you know, write an episode of TV that gets produced. Yeah. (laughs) like (laughs) Right. Yes, absolutely. Um, And this was after um, I was no longer writing with my former writing partner. So it was the the, um, Runaway Dinosaur would end up being my first solo TV credit. Um, And um, it was a really fun experience. And it was so much fun that they uh, that they invited me to be a consultant the uh, the next season and uh, write some episodes for them. So I, I think I've written four episodes, um, written or co-written four episodes altogether. And uh, and, you know, I really love those. I really love those people. And uh, and I love the characters and I love the uh, the the Barry and Iris relationship in particular. Um, it let me indulge my kind of romantic mushy side and, uh, and, um, you know, and it was, it was just nice getting my feet wet in, uh, in TV again, and actually, uh, you know, the kind of the grind of production, uh, the, the grind of production, and you get to learn from, you know, Greg Berlanti, who's one of the great, you know, he's like the freaking Norman Lear of our, uh, of our era. You know, can you talk to me a little bit about like how someone like that like exists and works? Because like, I, you know, he has so much stuff happening. Like what did, did have you ever like shadowed him and been like, how do you move through a day? Because to me, it's it, it, it I, I can't even wrap my head around it. Yeah. Greg's superpower is that he is able to give 100% focus to whatever he is is focused on at the time. And then when he's done, he moves on and gives a hundred percent focus to the next thing. So like he would have a day, you know, like there was a building in Burbank where like five of his shows are, and he literally would go and spend an hour with each writing staff looking at what's on the wall. And he, you know, he's so, you know, he's at the legends of tomorrow staff goes in, looks at what's on the wall spends 15 minutes it's like a beautiful it's like watching a beautiful mind (laughs) rearranging beats and then he comes in to the flash and he's sitting there with you and it's like yeah the flip the second act and the third act thing you need a character moment here and uh, you need something else like this you need a you need a bigger action beat there and then he it's like okay great job guys and and he leaves and you realize it's like, oh, you just spent 20 minutes and you made our episode 50% better. That's <laughs> fucking crazy. And then to he me. goes and does it to Supergirl. And you're and, and you're you're a great writer and you're seeing this guy and you're like, okay, the, so it's like it, it's a different muscle that he's got that yeah, it's, most it's, normal human beings have no idea what's happening. I, you know, whatever talent I have, like like seeing him, it's like, you know, it's it, it's very Amadeus, it's Salieri looking at Mozart stuff and it's like, wait, he's not cross. He's not, there are no erasing. There are no- I, I had a great like 10 AM zoom this week with an actor. And, and afterwards I was like, I think I'm done for the day. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, that was a real success. I was like, I can't focus on anything else. Uh, I'm going to go pick up my kids and, uh, you know, get myself a milkshake. This guy's just like, okay, let me go fix another television show. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then do it to five more. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, he's he's he, he's a force of nature and he's just a really kind dude. Um, you know, it's uh it's hang on one second. It's not fair. Yeah, you need to go out. <laughs> oh, we're back on the on the dogs. Uh and again, if you if you guys don't follow Zach on on Twitter, you're missing out on some premium dog content. Okay, I'm back. <laughs> 
Um, uh, yeah, but it, so, so yeah, it was, it, I, I mean, though, and those are the, those are the experiences I really seek out or like the places, you know, it's like, am I going to learn something from these? Am I going to learn something from this? And, you know, same thing with Derek Kolstad. It's, it's, you know, like, like, wow, what a great, you know, like, oh, you know, I get to get notes from, you know, the, the preeminent action writer of the last five years. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. And yeah, so you, but you, your, your first episode was directed by Kevin Smith. Did you have, do you have any interactions with him or was he just, oh, yeah, I had a lot and shot it. He's, he's just, he's a, trim, you know, he gave some notes and, uh, I did his podcast <laughs> with with him afterwards, and we've stayed in touch since then. And he's just he's just a lovely guy, just just a deeply good dude, and uh, and and did a fantastic job. It's it's I got this really you know like we we had the fortune or misfortune, however you want to say it. We came out like the week after I like that episode came out like right after Batman versus Superman did which got not like not very good reviews and there's like a Vanity Fair article that was like you know well the DC movies are doing this in TV they had this wonderful episode um <laughs> the dinosaur and and uh and um you know like I sent Kevin Smith a little thank you note and, and Kevin was like it's like no you don't understand I've been getting bad reviews for so long it's like it's like this is my week where I get to feel like JJ or Joss do all the time <laughs> he's so sweet I, I am curious on the diff you know because I'm like you mentioned Burbank so I'm assuming the most of the writing room was actually still in LA but then people would go up to Vancouver as they were shooting the episodes Exactly. They, they, writers, writers, or or a producer would be would be up in uh, up in Vancouver uh, liaising with uh, with with the uh, with the actors and and such. While the writing staff was down, and uh, the writing staff was all in L.A. Um, you know, it's a it's a pretty well oiled machine. Did you ever go up to Vancouver for any of the episodes that you worked on? I didn't actually. I kind of wish that I had, but uh, but. Um, I just wanted some dirt on, or not dirt, but I was just, again, curious about drippy warehouse in Vancouver on Andromeda versus, you know, I mean, I know they basically had a giant, the CW basically had like more or less like a giant complex there because they were filming, you know, Supergirl and The Flash and Supernatural and all these shows all basically in Vancouver. Like, I swear they had to have owned like half the city at that point. Oh yeah, I mean, my my joke was that like, you know, all those rooftop scenes that we would do, right? Like, like, you know, you'd have a rooftop scene from the flash. And my joke was that if you like pan the camera that way, there'd be like arrow right there, legends of tomorrow, right? You know, that they're they're just all shoot, you know, that cause cause Vancouver's not that big and the and the the kind of downtown areas where you shoot are even smaller still. So it's you end up seeing the same buildings over and over again. The big one that I would always notice was how frequently the police, the Central City Police Station uh, set would get redressed for other uh, for other uh, CW shows. So, yeah. Yeah, that was a that, you know, the, the, they did a lot of that kind of Stephen Cannell, uh, you know, use every part of the Buffalo uh, <laughs> ethos. Yeah, Vancouver's a weird town. I love it. But it's like they they kind of have like it, it feels like it was designed by one guy. Whereas, you know, most cities, it's it's a mess of different architecture. It's like they all have the same glass, you know, high rise every couple of blocks. So it does, it makes it easy to shoot and kind of cheat 
because you're like, oh yeah, it's just it's a replicating simulation in every single direction. Now, where do the where do the Skyline movies shoot? All over the world. Um, but the the first movie I worked on, uh, Alien vs Predator Two, was in Vancouver. That um, we didn't actually shoot anything in the downtown area, but we lived there, and then we would, you know, kind of commute to all the different uh, Surrey in all these kind of like. Uh, small town areas outside of the city. So I, I spent a lot of time there in like 2006 and, and and really loved it. But so the first skyline was LA. The second one was uh, Batam, Indonesia mainly, and then LA and Toronto. And then the third one was in Vilnius, Lithuania, where we wow. basically inherited the Chernobyl sets. And so we came in right after Chernobyl. And so like we we made like, uh, you know, like our, our post-apocalyptic camp is just made out of all the Chernobyl tents and stuff like that. And even even people are like, wow, it's a really interesting aesthetic. You went in with the spaceship. And I'm like, you mean I just grabbed all of the like Soviet reactor stuff to use for buttons because we had no money. So it's like, it's back to Andromeda uh, in, in, in our spaceship. And it, so it, some, some design choices are just made by what you have available to you. <laughs> it's, it's funny when we're shooting uh season two of the Sarah Connor Chronicles, um, um, we were moving to the set on the Warner brothers lot that had just been used for that Aaron Sorkin show studio 60, uh, on the sunset strip it was this gorgeous set and and the warner brothers before like you want it do you want you want you want to shoot on it and we're like can't what are sarah and john doing on studio 60 set like i would just just have cromarty smash someone through it yeah well, well let's do it <laughs> that's where they live now they live in an abandoned studio set <laughs> Cromarty just interrupts SNL and kills yeah. uh, the host. I'd love it. Oh man, Garrett, how how freaking lucky were we to have Garrett Villahunt, man? That guy's the best. I know. And that was the 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 show that kind of introduced, I think, me and probably a lot of people to him. And then all of a sudden you kind of notice that this this guy is is amazing and he's turning up in kind of all of your favorite movies and all these bit parts. But that that was the one that put him on the map for me. I loved him in ambulance. Oh, he's so great, Ambulance. Oh, speaking of which, Mike. Oh, God, yes. We, we we didn't even touch on the fact that Mike had got an ambulance tattoo. I want I, want, I need to see it. I was going to show you off recording. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my nice. God. Look at this. Oh, Jesus. Yes. That's rad. Um, anyway, moving on from my tattoo. Uh, <laughs> so, so, yeah, so, Zach, you you – now you go from the flash to actually writing and producing basically your own, your movie at this point with rim of the world. Um, mm -hmm. So how did that come about? I mean, that was a spec script. That was, you know, it was, it was the thing that never happens anymore. Right. It was an original, you know, like I, I, I written a really big, uh, you know, it was kind of my orphan Don, the not as good because I'm not Josh. <laughs> um, I had written like a big, like hundred million dollar sci-fi spec that I'm still very proud of. But as everyone was saying, like we could maybe, if this was based on a novel, we could make this. They're like, no, what you need to do is you need to write a twenty million dollar movie. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna write a twenty million dollar movie. And I, I, I'd always been obsessed with the idea of um, why can't you have a kids' adventure, adventure like Goonies anymore? You know, because it's not the '80s. And then I was like, okay, well, how can I challenge myself to? 
put kids, modern kids in a Goonies-like adventure the, where you take away their cell phones and you take away adult supervision. And, and I was dropping my kids off at summer camp up on Rim of the World Highway in, uh, in uh, the San Bernardino Mountains and was kind of driving down and like had this kind of weird vision of like, what if it was kids on bikes riding down this mountain and you turn a corner and it's a war zone because there's been an alien invasion? And they have to go from point A to point B to save the world, you know, like, because I'm a, I'm a big fan of like point A to point B movies, you know, like, like you, you have to run a gauntlet and, uh, and the whole movie, you know, like kind of grew, grew out of that. And, uh, and I was friends with a couple of the people at McGee's company and sent it to them and uh, they got excited by it and they got, uh, they were just coming off of the babysitter and which was a big success for Netflix and they wanted to do something a little bigger. So they did that. And um, McGee got his uh, then assistant to uh, do a rewrite and add a lot more comedy to it. And his assistant was this really talented young guy named Jimmy Warden who uh, is about to have his first uh, movie come out next week, which you may have heard of called Cocaine Bear. Uh, oh, amazing. <laughs> that was his, that was his great, that was his great spec. And uh, so it was, it was fun working with Jimmy and uh, you know, and, and he was obvious, he's hugely talented guy. It's like, Oh yeah, you're, you're going on to great things. Um, he had, yeah. You know, he's got all that and he's married to Samara weaving. Oh shit! What an asshole! Uh, <laughs> I know, no, right? He's so nice that you can't even hate him for all of that. <laughs> well, i i wanted I want to just talk about Rim of the World for a second because, um, you know, I'm I, I've got four kids. Uh, at the time when this came out, I only had three, but it was actually released while I was filming, and so I was like excited to watch with them. But they'd already watched it by the time I got back, and they're like, oh, "Yeah, yeah, funny. we really liked it." And, uh, and so then I ended up not watching and then this week. Uh, I was like, I, I want to watch this. Some, I'm going to talk to the writer. And, um, and of course my, my daughter freaked out actually more about camp Cretaceous because she's like, does, does he know Jenna Ortega? Does he know Jenna Ortega? <laughs> but, um, but so we, we watched it again. And, um, to me, it was like, it, I mean, even if it kind of says it was like, I, I thought it was like, Oh, he basically was like, what if there was a camp during independence day? And, that, you know, that they're flying over during that sequence. And then that kind of even is called out in the movie. But I love what you said about about kind of having this this one image and then the movie kind of spins out of that. And to 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 even go further about the point A to point B is like a lot of movies don't they use L.A., but they don't really, you know, I, I loved how actual L.A. this felt in in some of these locations in the spirit, obviously, you know, you always have to cheat and use cinematic locations, but like that, you know, the JPL and, and, and uh, you know, their, their entire path, I felt like was very credible to me as a, as someone who loves that area as well. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed it. And um, you know, my kids uh, who had, had watched it in 2019 were happy to sit down and watch it with me uh, on Friday night again. So yeah, well done. Oh, well, th thank you. Like, yeah, when I was writing it, I actually like, I had like the big map laid out and, it, and, and, it, you know, the geography was, was actually really, uh, was, was, was really hardcore. And then we took a lot of liberties when we actually shot it. it you know, it, it's, I remember at a test screening, like one of the people was being really pedantic. It's like, well, they're supposed to be in the Inland Empire, but that's very clearly Westminster Mall. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's like it's like it's like yeah welcome to the movies buddy <laughs> well that actually said because i did misspeak at the start i said rim of the world was your most recent work but obviously that's completely incorrect because you have been doing jurassic world camp cretaceous for the last couple of years and it, it is interesting to me that you know we we started talking about how like x-men first class was on the r-rated side of pg-13 and it feels like you've gone more towards kids oriented stuff and i'm not saying that that's not like a, a negative but uh by any means but what is it like working on an animated actually creating and working on an animated show uh, as opposed to doing some of the live action stuff that you've done I, I mean, it's animation is so its own thing. The lead times are so much longer. Um, it, it's, you know, it's, it's, um, although weirdly CGI animation is a lot more like live action than I thought it would be because it's all about builds and it's all about assets and, uh, and, you know, reusing, you know, like when you have a build for a jungle, um, that's like a set. And and if you go somewhere else, they need to build all of that. So it's so there's a lot of creative reusing of the uh, of the same elements. But, uh, you know, one one of you asked about uh, Jenna Ortega. The funny thing is um, um, Jenna originally came in to read for the Sammy character. And, um, you know, because we had always imagined Sammy as a kind of Latina cowgirl. And the only problem was that Rainey had come in and given just this amazing audition. And we're like, okay, that's our, that's our girl. But then Jenna came in and just completely rocked it as well. And we're like, oh, and Brooklyn, who originally was going to be uh, British, you know, we'd had all these British actresses. We're like, nope, it's going to be Jenna or, you know, it's like this, this, this little girl's a star. She's going to be in it too. So it was, it was, uh, uh, you know, I I I I talked to Jamie Vanderbilt who produced the the Scream movies and uh, you know one of the things we like to talk about it's like yeah that kid's a superstar and just, uh, just I, I've never seen Wednesday. anything like it yeah I've never seen anything like it like uh, in my house like to go from like unknown to the, the she's the most famous person in the world in my, <laughs> to, to my daughter um, so yeah that that that's exact I mean I, I've it's been it's one of those shows that's on in the background a lot because my kids watch it and even the the for the six year old to the thirteen year old so I've seen a lot and I'll stop and watch a sequence and you know uh, I I think I even tweeted you about this but it was like they'll go from really enjoying it to like you actually will they'll scream and get quite quite horrified at times and and, and but in a good way I think it, I think you guys ride the line really well if you can get yeah. a six year old to just scream it's it's not as easy as you think. <laughs> I, you know, we do almost everything that they do in the live action ones. All we do is like, you know, cut away, cut away before, you know, and you just hear the crunch instead of uh, seeing the person getting eating, getting eaten. But yeah, they, I, I think a lot of people are, a lot of people were surprised by how non-compromised a version of uh, Jurassic that the, uh, that the show has been. And are you, were you the um, like how you got brought onto that? Were you the actual showrunner for this one? Um, I created the show and then stepped back to a consulting role fairly early in the process because um, I had to choose between uh, between running running it day to day 
or or getting to be on set every day for Rim of the World. And I and I chose the latter because I wanted the experience. I wanted the set experience uh, um, for the for that, which I hadn't really had up till uh, up till then. And you know, I I feel good about the decision, but part of me does does regret a little bit that uh, that I had to that I had to take a step back from that. After. But it is it's so funny, like timing wise, like if it, if, it, if it hadn't worked been at the same time, you would have been happy to do that. But sometimes these things just it's like, I know. why can't this just work out perfectly? And, and let's let's face it. They're kind of two different variations on the same idea, aren't they? Right. Right. Yeah, it, it's, it's amazing. It's at camp where something goes horribly wrong and they have to fend for themselves. And again, that gets back to uh, that gets back to what uh, what Vice was saying. Um, you know, it's the it's all about them becoming the best versions of themselves. And 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 you know, something that I that that was actually a really important theme for me to convey in both of those projects is the idea that that modern kids are are just as capable and resourceful as is uh, 80s kids if you give them a chance and if they learn how to trust each other trust each other and trust themselves and uh, and help each other become become their the best versions of themselves which I know is corny but uh, I'm a dad too so you know I want to put those messages out there in the world no no, no. I, I, I dig that too I mean I don't have kids like Liam but like you know I've, I've definitely seen that in my travels is like um there's definitely certainly a dis- disconnect between like um like when i was in the army for example growing up like you know we had the all the old like you know uh desert storm guys saying these kids are these kids nowadays are, are dumb or they have no attention spans but the thing is like you know for like, a lot of them like they, it's, they have their attention is so divided they're doing so many things at once they're so bombarded with stuff that it just feels different to us like you know when, when, how reacting to a younger person but no, like I've I've definitely seen it myself. Where like you know, if you give the, if you trust in them and give them the guidance and motivation to achieve stuff, they'll do wonders. You just gotta like you know have that faith. But that's, that's definitely true. All right. Uh, well, Zach, any any upcoming things that you're at liberty to discuss? God, I I wish I could uh, I wish I could announce some things. I've had like a three or four things that have been like this close, you know, like waiting for the deals to close. Um, but I don't want to jinx anything by announcing them, but, um, but you know, this, this, uh, this feature project that I have, um, with, uh, with Derek and company, I'm really excited by. And, um, and I've got a couple of TV projects in development that I'm also really excited by. And then another new feature spec, that's, uh, more of a kind of national treasure, uh, uh, adventure thriller that uh i'm hoping someone wants to buy so uh so uh i will i will keep you posted as that proceeds yeah so zach uh, real quick about that well not about your project specifically but um well we, we mentioned before like you know like you mentioned the uh the dynamic of stuff like andromeda you have that 20, 22 episodes to like work with and now you know like stuff like streaming is such it's much it's shorter or more condensed does does the um is the current or modern or evolving uh, medium switch, you know, the Netflix stuff and the um, the way they do the the way movies are sold, like streaming now, does that affect your writing process process in particular? Or I can't. I it hasn't so far. Like I can't. I have to put all that stuff out of my head to write. Like it's bad enough, you know. Like I I can't think all. I I just I just 
have to think about the story itself. But um, I feel like it is, I, I feel like these short orders are hurting television because, because you have a whole generation of people coming up um, who are running shows who have never spent time on set, who don't know how to work with actors, who don't know how to take notes, who don't know how to sit in post-production, you know, like, like they, they just haven't had a chance to learn those skills. Um, um, and uh, I really hope that, I really hope that, that changes and that they, the, that they start paying for bigger writing staffs and pay for writers to go to, go to set and such. Liam, any last questions for Zach? Or sorry, Vice, did you have a follow-up to that? No, no, no. no, 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 no. Uh, that, that, yeah, that's no. I, yep. I was going to just ask uh, the last, a last craft follow-up for you, Zach, and just, you know, you're talking about all these different projects and what kind of, how do you balance it like within the week? And are you uh, like Berlanti? Like I, I remember Derek telling me that like, no matter what, every Saturday he has like a, a time where he will go and write like a new idea no matter what other projects is, he's like Saturday at like four o'clock. I like to go and be like, you know, a hitman, da, da, da. <laughs> and so, and so I, I just want to know if there's any other little, little tips about like um, for, for productivity about how you, you balance all those projects through the week. Um, not really other than that, even if you're drowning in assignments and that, that you need to, that all writers need to carve out time to do original stuff that like it, it all comes back to like you know finding finding that you know kind of what your creativity and your voice is and i feel like you can't do that if you're just chasing assignments all the time so i always try and carve out time for 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 original material even again even when i'm on assignment that would be that would be my big thing well awesome and thank you again so much for uh for coming on and and talking to us and sharing your uh, career and and also just those these great practical tips uh for action screenwriting in particular and well, um it's yeah. been a pleasure talking to you all thank you so much guys yeah and really quick before you go zach where can people find you online if they want to follow you obviously twitter at muzak but where else um i'm on instagram also as muzak um and uh i'm on facebook but i don't say i i only that's just people from high school <laughs> but Twitter is probably the best place to find me on is the best place to find me online. Usually, usually talking about movies or uh, sharing pictures of my dogs on hikes. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Well, Zach, thank you so much. When you have a uh, new stuff to talk about, we would love to have you come back on and talk about that as well, because this has been a delight to have you on. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. All right, we'll let Thank you go. You. We're going to do a couple more things. And so we'll let you go. Thanks, Zach. Take Appreciate care, guys. It. Thank you, bro. Man. Wow. <laughs> Let's keep coming. Look at us, man. Look at us. I was, no. I was, I was so excited. And uh, at the beginning, I was just like, oh, you know, like I, I, I wanted to just um, try to get as much out of him as possible for, <laughs> for the actual practical um action stuff and it's so funny that it was the Derek thing because I was like he's mentioning a lot of Derek in this thread and um and so yeah that was great well it makes sense I mean Derek Derek is Derek so uh you know um all right uh boys anything else any catch up we want to do uh Vice there's been like a ton of trailers that we have not 
commented on that I I kind oh. of want to just just blast through real quick. And and I saw Ant Man three. I could do quick quick five five seconds of that. But what if, where, where, give us where are we? Where are we with action cinema right now? Where the fuck is everything? Well, I mean, we had fucking Scott Atkins in a fat suit this week. We got to talk about some shit. Yeah, so okay, <laughs> so obviously we got to talk about John Wick four. I would honestly be fine if we didn't talk about it, man. But uh, we do have to talk about John Wick four. The trailer. Uh, I don't know if you saw. I don't know if you saw the um, behind the scenes with Keanu talking about all the stunt people that he's working with. Um, you know. I don't know. I, I'm with you, Vice. And Vice, you had some spicy Twitter this week, and you certainly had some spicy comments in your Twitter this week. I still do. Even is I started to say, but even as we're talking, I'm going to do some bullshit here because people want to be assholes. Hey, I'll be asshole too. I don't care. Anyway, but that, that's for another time. First thing though about this about this to the point of this. So you know, people like you know John Wick is what two hours two hours and forty nine minutes. John Wick four. That was the uh, announced runtime. It's like you know people are like. Reacting different ways to it, which is right. It's like, hey, that's three hours, three hours of Keanu and John Wick and Donnie and then uh, Marcos Aurora and Atkins. Like, that's great. Why not? You know, and lots of movies are like longer nowadays. So, hey, this more the merrier, the more the merrier, right? Like, you know, that's like, on one hand, it's like, yeah, okay, yeah, that that makes sense. You know, more what's have good stuff, have more good stuff. Right? I mean, that makes sense on his on paper on his face, but also like, um. I re- I comment. I react. I replied to a comment or quoted a comment about uh uh showdown in Tokyo that I we, we I saw last week when we had uh we had Phil Tan on, and it's like it's, it's like seventy five minutes like that's like the the concept of a lean mean action movie isn't just isn't just like a like a catchphrase. It's like that's a always been a positive descriptor. Like it's a natural, the flow of action movies naturally want to be leaner. Because action, that's how, like, action on a philosophical and physical, you know, and a conceptual technical sense makes sense. It's like you have the buildup and then the uh, the explosion and then the the come down. It's like you can't sustain that stuff for hours. It gets, it gets exhausting. This is the nature of action films. So you know, it's like, but you know, you know, down now, John Wick Four has all this fucking like bullshit story stuff. Well, I'm not bullshit. It's like, well, I mean. Yeah, it's bullshit. It's like it's uh, the high table and the, and the and the dog lady and the hotel Moscow. All this other, you know, whatever. I, I'm just making shit up. But it's like, so are they? It's like it's all this like weird lore stuff, which is like cool. It's like you know, it's a comic book. It's a different type of comic book movie. It's like you know, it's a this kind of just uh, broad stroke fantasy stuff in a world of assassins, right? But like you know, still three hours. Still three hours of a fucking movie. So I'm like, you know, there's something to be said for efficiency. Now the footage we've seen from the movie looks fucking amazing, like no doubt. Especially the uh, the newer, like you mentioned before, the uh, newer um stuff where you see uh we see our first glimpses of uh Atkins in the fat suit, <laughs> the, the, the 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 fat white dragon. <laughs> so it's like you know, yeah, I want to see that shit. That's great. I want to see that. if you can cram as much stuff in, well, as much good stuff, emphasis being good stuff, into a movie. Then hey, why not? They get, they obviously the audience is here for it, the studios trust them and do it, and the talent there is all is all game for it. So why not? Go fucking go for broke. But still three hours of your fucking life. Oh like, well hold on. I, I was taking a pee, but I didn't realize that you're you're complaining about the three hours. I'm not complaining. I'm saying I'm saying I'm stating a fact. It is three hours of your fucking life. Like 
I got shit to do. <laughs> I know, but I, I just feel like of any of the years to come off of the two two of the best movies of last year were three hour uh, action movies were three hours long in, in Avatar and, and, so and it's, RRR. And so, so it's like if it's just being you gotta you better be as damn good as those okay twice my fucking time, you know? It's like Yeah, but the movie was literally <laughs> like locked a year ago. Like it's not like they're like, hey, you know, th- like this thing was supposed to come out last year. Uh, it has been I don't, I'm screened not and vetted. I, I, I just would, I would just tell everybody I'd be pretty goddamn confident that it is that good and <laughs> that it is trying to fuck it. Like he, Obviously. you know, I heard, heard a year ago, it was good, the bad, the ugly. We reported it on this podcast. The first person <laughs> to say, this is Chad's good, the bad, the ugly. No one credits me for all the shit that I fucking say on here. I just hear it back at me a year later. <laughs> Still three fucking hours of my goddamn life. There's a reason I haven't seen Avatar yet. I got shit to do. I have a job. Like, I have shit to do. And I'm sorry, I I am more strong than Vice on this one. I don't want a three-hour Friday the 13th movie. I fucking love Friday the 13th. I fucking love Scream. You give me a three-hour Scream movie, I'm going to roll my eyes. John Wick started as a lean, mean very simple, very straightforward, efficient action movie. And that's why it was so successful. So the fact that they're going bigger and bigger, yes, it may work, but I don't think it's wrong for people to be like, uh, I'm not sure about this. Like, I don't think it's wrong to not just be completely in the bag on this one when you see a two hour and 49 minute fucking running time. Because you know what else came out last year that was three hours and sucked balls? The fucking Batman. And that was a goddamn waste of a day. <laughs> So like just (laughs) hours doesn't mean it's going to be fucking good. I think it's okay to have some concerns about this being three fucking hours long. I I feel like I'm, I'm shocked. Like who's on this podcast with me now? Like you, you guys are, uh, and everyone's turning on John wick Four. I thought I, Mike, you, you were like, uh, gun fooing people to defend Chad for like an entire year. And now all of a sudden you're like, the guy doesn't know pacing. I, I don't know. I just, I just, there, I, there's enough goodwill built up with me that, I mean, think about it. He's only directed John Wick movies for a, almost a decade now. So the fact that he wants to keep evolving and try to do smuggle different genres into each one makes all the sense in the world as a guy who's only been directing one franchise for a decade. Like I kind of basically each one, I want to do something sort of different. So I don't know. I, I just, uh, I, I feel I um, be very clear here. I'm gonna, I'm- I want it really quick. So I want to pull up this tweet really quick. Let's see who it's from. It's from some guy called Liam Odin. Oh, yeah. It's pause <laughs> a movie at 36 minutes and there's less than 36 minutes left. You were literally just singing the praises of. I short- love I love short movies. I, I don't find this to be a contradicting thing that I if, if I generally like short movies when it's like, you know, especially when it's sort of um, simple action things. But I just feel like, again, I thought the third John Wick was the best one. Um, personally, I I, I, lo- I loved the the variations in the action. I thought the cinematography was the best one. I actually liked how existential the story got in trying to find meaning um, for how far it had gotten from the original grief of the first one, which it's only the first one's lightning a bottle. There's no bad John Wick, but again, I I I, yeah. I don't I don't think there's a contradiction in saying I prefer short movies and movies that like. You know, like as much as I love Michael Bay, I always feel like there's probably 10 to 15 of almost all of his movies that could come out because there's a lot of repetitiveness to things. And and I feel like 
the um, insanity of his style and action is probably better if it's if it's not as uh, if it's a little bit more reined in. But I wouldn't cut anything from Avatar or RR or Maverick, which I just watched for the third time last night, and that's a longer movie. So I don't know. I just I'm just I I I, I just basically saying like I I get. I get that they're two separate things. And in this case, I feel like the guy is more than enough built up my goodwill to say, if that's as long as it wants to be, then that's as long as it be. Like, I'm not going to tell Sergio Leone, like, Hey man, can you speed up this fucking gunfight at the end of good, the man, the ugly, like <laughs> enough with the eyes. All right. You know, like, I mean, come on. Let me be very clear here. The quality of the movie is irrelevant. What I'm saying is very clearly, very plainly, that's still three hours of my life. I have to prepare the either logistically or mentally prepare for a two-hour event or three-hour event. That's just facts. It's not anything to do with the movie. Like, like uh, another thing we went, went, went talk about here is um the, the new season of Ganglands, the, the TV show by Julian McClurk. Julian McClurk is based off of his original movie, The Crew, Breakfast. The Crew is 81, 81 minutes long, one of the most efficient gangster movies I've ever seen. The show, the TV series, the season... Uh, on Netflix, it's six episodes long, so about six hours thereabouts. So, and but the thing is, the the quality, the product itself is great all around. Whether it's this condensed eighty minute action movie or this really solid six hour like crime drama, I have to prepare myself differently for those events, for those experiences. Like it's two separate experiences to live in, but it's still like hours of my life. So, like I, that's what I'm saying. It's like to people that like to to people to just recognize that is that a weird thing? It's like. Oh, I gotta. I, I'm not saying it's weird. I just feel like. Um, I, or, I mean, I don't. I don't think that it's not a direct criticism of the I, film. So I, like, I, I think it's it just it. basically just it, it's the guy stating his ambition and he's saying I want to make uh, the, the good, the bad, the ugly with John Wick for him. And so it's like, fuck, all right, throw it down, <laughs> judge him accordingly. You know, but, like, but, you know, but, the, but, but we're me. we're judging it in a vacuum just based on a number. It's no, like let's gonna see if me. the movie earns it. Me, my, my the movie has to earn it. I agree with you. The movie has to earn it. But no, I'm, I'm, never ever disagree with that. I'm just saying, like that's all. It's gonna affect my ability to see it. Like my schedule. Of course, like, we have to go of course. To Nice. We gotta, you know, like like that. These are, these are these are practical things to consider. So it's like it's not it's not people complaining. It's like oh shit, I gotta re- rearrange my life for a fucking movie. Well. Okay, I, I, I want to see the movie. I want. I mean, the fucking great. movies have thirty minutes of ads in them now, anyway. Yeah, like, I, I, exactly. So, I, you know, I just I want them the to tell me exactly when the fucking ads are over, yeah. so I can the, skip that thirty Nicole minutes. Still, Nicole Kidman is still on the fucking screen, smiling at the, at the movie theater. I'm already there, bitch. I'm already there. Why are you still showing Nicole Kidman? I don't fucking care. Nobody cares about Nicole Kidman watching the movies on the screen. When I'm already movie. I'm already at the movie. I'm already at the movie. Show's twenty five minutes long. Now you got his, his smiling. Another five minutes, wasting my time, wasting my fucking time, wasting my fucking time. Nicole Kidman, I loved you in uh, Far and Away, wasting my time. <laughs> Far and Away, I love it. <laughs> of all the polls. <laughs> all right, can, or, what, we'll agree to disagree on this. Let's just wait for the fucking movie to come out. What what else can we get to? Uh oh, like well, like I just mentioned before, like uh, the Gangman's. So yes, the like I mentioned before, the uh, the base of the movie, the crew, the buckers. New season came out this past weekend or Friday this weekend. Um, sadly, like ugh, fucking Netflix fucking sucks at promoting its stuff. I don't know why they didn't promote Lost Bullet Two all that much. Well, I mean, did in France, but even then, like it was kind of very uh, subdued fanfare. But no, but the bottom line is uh, this Gangland is one of the most gangster shows of the 21st century. 
season two so far has been living up to the hype of the expectations. Like it's a uh, just a quick synopsis. It's a crew of th- crew of like professional armed robbers get involved with some uh, drug drug cartel stuff in uh, in Belgium, uh, France, and Belgium, and it's like a you know just like solid ass like classic, but still like mo- modern feeling gangster ass epic. You know, so like 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 I said, the movie the original movie is eighty one minutes. The series is like six episodes, so about uh, fifty minutes each. So you know, it's it's uh, it's not too time consuming, but you know, again, like like I was mentioning before, I have to prepare to like see it. Because even now, I didn't get a chance to see it because I was watching fucking Ant-Man of all things. Fuck it. <laughs> Which we'll get to next. But um, Did you see it? Did you see Ant-Man? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, last night. But okay. yeah, so, you know, so yeah, bottom line, Gangland, season two is on Netflix. Dope as hell. One of the best gangster TV shows of the 21st century. Check it out. All right. So 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 Quantumania, I, I didn't do a mood board, but I told you my mood board would have been three uh, of photos of uh, of of Tron Legacy, and then one of just a, a a bowl of red dark diarrhea because the movie had such a bad look to it. Uh, and and of course, this is coming from one of my favorite DPs, and I don't think it's his fault at all. I don't know what's going on with the someone needs to take away the base light from those guys over at MCU because uh, the last three movies have been uh, a lot darker. I, I I'm 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 sure there's some element of hiding uh vfx but like i actually i actually think anyway i I, just from that look aesthetic thing it's like i i'd rather have the brighter and just see the that the 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 effects and they're they're not that good like going back to the phase one and phase two you know there's a bunch of stuff that hasn't aged that well but it's like bright and it's zippy and it's fun and i think people are more forgiving of that than when like there's so much dark and repetitive imagery. It really made me want to fall asleep in the, in the, in the second act of the movie. Yeah. Um, and I kind of had a few moments where I was zoning in and out and I, I saw it at fucking 5 PM on a Friday. I was like, <laughs> I was not tired at all. Um, but I was like, I would pay $20 for a Red Bull delivered to my seat yeah. right now, just so I could stay awake for this. So uh, actually, yeah, on, on, what were your thoughts? What were your thoughts? Yeah. Like? So it's it kind of worked backwards. I guess like, you know, usually we go from the story to the text, but I wanted to start the text stuff first because I've heard a similar thing. Like uh, people were saying it's very muddy and very, you can't see shit. From my presentation, it seemed clear and fine. Like uh, there was a tweet, tweet going around about the, like the, what's the shot of Ant-Man and uh, old John with majors and Paul Rudd before color grading, color grading and after color grading. And like the, the of course the actor like it's so dark and dim can't see shit. It, it's not but, it's not an accurate one because that's an onset still, and an onset yeah. still is a high res photo that's taken from an onset photographer, and yeah. then they color correct it their own way. And but, I don't even know if that other one's actually taken from the movie. But anytime right. you can you do that, that that's a dishonest presentation. But yeah. the movie is too dark. Wait, wait, wait. So I was able to see things. This is why maybe we should. Uh, Maybe we should have like somebody like uh from like the projection side come on this show at some point, because from my presentation was clear. I could see everything clearly. I mean, like the 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 quantum realm as as, a, as it's presented is underwhelming. It's like kind of just whatever. But like I didn't have any problems seeing anything at all. So I, and you know we've heard, we've heard this on various from various fronts like uh, the combination of the way Marvel graded stuff, but also there's various issues with the theaters themselves, the projections and the lenses and all this shit, like kind of. Like, like, this was clearer to me than than what kind of forever when I saw it. Like, yeah, I, no, see, I, I guess, I, I guess, I'm not saying it. It wasn't. It wasn't dark. Like, I couldn't see stuff. Like, there's a dimness into Wakanda Forever, and that's the the underwater stuff. That's like artistically. I just meant like the fact that it was so many kind of darker 
um, composed scenes that, that that there wasn't like great parts of the frame where the light would pop and the contrast mm -hmm. would pop. Mm -hmm. It was so it wasn't like I was saying it was too dark for me to see anything. It was just so much repetitive dark imagery without pop and without like real um, design that mm -hmm. that's what made me tired. It was so I'm I'm not saying it was like uh, an AVPR situation where you can't <laughs> see the DI. It's it's not that. It's just that it's like there's and, and some of it is the 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 VFX of like well what was that designed for and what was that shot for? Like there's one scene where it, it was like a close-up of majors and there's like a there's some sort of weird like light volcano behind his head that's just back sci-fi quantum realm thing and and that's behind his head and then in front of his face is just like a complete shadow and you're like what am i mm. looking at right now like what what is that <laughs> this look like it's just it's not it, it 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 kind of stopped me from actually connecting to his eyeballs and so there was a yeah. lot of that type of stuff that it it's it's like invisibly bad craft in a way. It wasn't so much that it was um that it that it was like again an AVPR situation. Right, right, right. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So like yeah, it's definitely well to the to the movie itself like, as a whole, definitely pretty fucking boring. Like I was like, this is I'm talking about wasting time. <laughs> like, but you know, I didn't <laughs> That's well, what I, I mean. I mean Avatar, I I'd rather watch Avatar three times in a row than watch Atman again. <laughs> But you know, like, but I didn't hate it. Like, uh, it's just like I felt for me, it was like um, the problems with the movie were more of direct problems of the MCU machine as a whole than with this particular story. Because you know, it's a fucking yeah, man. It's a fun and silly. It's, it's like a, it's a serviceable family adventure. You know, like people like compared to like fucking Spy Kids because it looks terrible. But you know, like that's not far off. It's like hey, it's it's fun. It's like a fun like oh, we're gonna go see yeah, man, and you know whatever. It's like just that what sucks is that it's it's not as engaging as other movies. The other Ant-Man movies, but you know, it's still like you know, it's like I didn't hate it outright because like no, it's still like both both my kids liked it, and it, it I've gotten to the place where I now have to kind of lie to them and be like, yeah, it was great because I'm not going to be a jerk. <laughs> but like we we used to just agree, you know, we used to just be like, yeah, those were fun, and now I'm just like, I'm like, I did have some notes. Did you guys think about this in the, with the camera stuff? And they're like, huh, oh yeah. And but I I I am I'm generally it's moved to the phase with me being trying to be like not a grumpy old dick. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah like uh, I, I would just say like you know like uh it is people have mentioned that um it's a very we're the multiverse now so like and uh, people have mentioned that um some of the writers from rick and morty are now like have, or have been part of the mcu for a while now and so it's kind of funny like i, I, I won't do spoilers in this, in this episode but i uh, just to say like you know there are some like um multiverse multi-personal like time space bits that are pretty much recycled from rick and morty episodes um so it's like you know that's 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 whatever but it's just like you know you have this whole like you have the whole roster of the mcu the whole canon like like what else you got like show me go crazy with it but it's just like some single like tv bits well you know so it's like that's whatever so it's like if you if you, it's nothing like too gripping or engaging but it's just like uh and in but more to the point as far as like the next what is this phase five six seven whatever this is the, the, the new phase of marvel mcu whatever this shit is man it's just like it's just a limp start man it's like Y'all gotta like y'all gotta do something. Like getting Jonathan Majors himself in a movie in in this series was a big win for them. But he's like he's great. But it's like y'all gotta give him something to do. <laughs> this shit is kind of flailing already. <laughs> you can't have him just do the exact same plot line of Tron Legacy with Clue. He's like I, I'm a miniature man trapped in this little world, and I've got my simulant army, and I'm trying to get out. I was like, 
my that was my 13 year old who is a huge uh, uh tron legacy fan he was like wait a minute and i was like oh god damn it um yeah i i agree and and i think from a from a sci-fi sort of standpoint um it's kind of telling even right in the intro that it's like, wait, so the quantum realm is just like a Western. Like it just, I don't know. There's just, there's kind of a lack of imagination going on with what they could do with everything. And it made me uh, really appreciate George Lucas's prequels. Actually. I think that was my big takeaway from this was just like, again, everyone should apologize to George Lucas <laughs> because there's so much more imagination in even the worst uh, possible Star Wars compared to some of the stuff that 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 other people will crank out. You know, like right. it, it's just like, I, I just can't imagine George Lucas doing a quantum realm that would just be a rehash of 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 his own work you know like yeah. the, uh, so i don't know that 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 was that was a, a couple i i feel like i'm overly harsh but at the same time we, I, we laughed we had fun i, I was glad that i <laughs> took my kids to it you know the, the the little the little slime guy who talks about people's holes that made people <laughs> laugh i'm not like a cute huge comic guy like you guys know so like changing modok and making him the butt of the jokes i i thought that was all funny um it, it just made me wonder, did they even have the original actor back? Because it didn't really look like the original actor that they're twisting it around. But, um, but yeah, in general, <laughs> yeah, in general, I had fun with the fun stuff, but um, yeah, it was, I just think before I could enjoy the sort of TV esque production stuff. And now I feel like the last three um, have, have made it hard to enjoy as much because of how, uh it it just does not seem like there's there's a there's a ton of thought being put into some of these uh these visuals and 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 that's kind of what you're there for so uh i'm going to come back again and say uh it, of the of the this hero stuff uh you know i i, I still say Raimi's done it the best the past uh years and uh and i i i put black adam above the last 3 mcu movies hey let's go hey <laughs> <laughs> all right um the only other thing i want to bring out in case people missed it is of course one more shot uh is coming from director and friend of the show james nunn and scott adkins um i am actually more excited about that than just about anything so uh, everybody be on the lookout for that we'll of course keep you updated as we get more information on that um I don't know when I'm going to see quantum mania, but it's damn sure not going to be in the theater. I I'm pretty much done seeing Marvel movies in the theater. I think I just, it's not worth my time. Um, so I, uh, I'll watch them when they hit Disney plus. So uh, three hours otherwise. <laughs> well, and especially because like you said, vice, <laughs> the one variable is always how badly are the theaters lighting their projectors. Um, and I know the lighting. I just, It'll be here in a couple of weeks. Got a fancy new TV. Uh, so like I will, uh, you know, I know the variable, that variable is going to be eliminated in my house. And so it's one of those things where it's like, well, if I want to give it the best possible shot to look good, it's probably going to be in my house unless I'm paying 25 bucks to go see something in IMAX. Um, you know, and so I, I basically did do that. I saw it in the, the Cinemark XD screen, which was the huge brightly lit one. So mm -hmm. I, I, I was not seeing it in poor presentation 
And I will say Cinemark, because that's where I go. My my local theaters that I go to are Cinemarks, and I have not really had any problems with them under lighting their uh, their screens, um, especially at the XD stage, because that's it was a Cinemark where I saw Patan and goddamn, that thing looked gorgeous. Uh, Wait, so, yeah, uh, speaking of IMAX and trailers and stuff, there was the uh, final Creed 3 trailer that came out. And people who don't know, Creed 3 has also been now made is being filmed or was filmed for IMAX as well, specifically. And yeah, it was like, you know, this is my, speaking of Jonathan Majors, you know, you see him doing this like comic book shit, you know, he's great. He's like, he's great. <laughs> just, uh, it's not a spoiler, but you know, it's, it's a comic movie. Like, uh, when Jonathan Majors is beating the shit of Paul Rudd, it's like, stop, he's already dead. It's like a huge, that diesel scientist man from the future is beating up the guy from I Love You Man. It's like, stop. And I, he, Rudd, Rudd just doesn't have his heart in, into any of those punches. It's like, he's just like, <laughs> Uh, it, it's wild. an interesting fucking, fucking Rachel has the fucking Tyson uppercut she's like yo <laughs> a mismatch for real but like, like yeah, I, but I think it was see him like do this, see him do this very basic fight was like oh my god he's gonna like in Creed 3 he's gonna fucking destroy this dude it's gonna, it's gonna be great like uh, you, you see the trailer like you see there's more uh, actual, more clips of um, both of them fighting well I mean Jonathan Majors like I guess part of the story he's coming up as a boxer and his own right to see how devastating he is, so the trailer's part of that, and like it's like it's it's a it's like as far as the IMAX part, there's a shot in the newest latest trailer where uh you see the uh Donald Creed gets punched in the stomach, and you see the sweat on his back glisten and like fly off, like from the impact, and like like that's what IMAX for baby, that's what it's for to see that to see the the glistening sweat on this. On this like la this huge Menigo fight, it's fucking great. This like this is what it's for, baby. This is what I is for. I am so hyped for Creed, but like you know, uh, people so far Creed has been a three for three, well, two for three for me. Um, I like the second one, even though even though Cougar wasn't there, but like it was still like delivered. You know, Drago coming back and all that. You know, it was great. I had a great time with that. See, I'm really I'm stoked for this. I'm stoked for Jonathan Major to like fucking just destroy Michael B. Jordan. <laughs> He's so fucking huge. It's great. I love these. I love the the mismatches. That's the one number they kept from Rocky. He's like, he's always finding somebody huger than him. It's, they never never fail. But yeah, yeah, that I'm still looking forward to this. Here, here. Um. Oh, are you still for the still on trailers? There's one more I forgot to mention. Uh, this came out actually. I think it's about two weeks now. There's a new uh Gyllenhaal joint coming up. You know, speaking of uh coming up for the ambulance, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is going to start in the Covenant. This is a uh war film. Uh, directed by Guy Ritchie, uh, which is fucking that's a weird sentence to say, <laughs> but, yeah, but yeah, it's apparently it's a kind of a thing where uh, Gil characters has to go back to Afghanistan to rescue this interpreter who saved his life. Um, and you know, like as we spoke about in the previous uh war film episode, you know, that, that's just one of the documentaries, it's actually a big, you know, it's still fresh in at least my mind, if not the, if not the mind of many veterans, how like you know, after the uh fall of Afghanistan and the uh, Departure of his forces, we kind of let people to, to own devices, let them to die, basically. So this this seems to be the first film that's directly addressing that element uh, of of the conflict. So I'm really interested to see where it goes. But also, yeah, like, again, guy, wishy war film. This is fucking like, and the trailer the trailer looks like a green a green grass joint. It's like it doesn't. I still can't compute what's happening. But I mean, hey, I, I've Gary T's a man of uh, many hits and misses. You know, he's he always swings well. So I, I I'm curious to see what, what he does with this. Well, that's the it's the Wrath of Man ambulance crossover that we've been calling for. So yeah, that that, that I thought it looked great too. And um, Richie seems to be at least 
just working nonstop right now. Um, I know uh, our our previous guest Travis saw the the his 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 unreleased Statham joint that is now getting dropped. When is that coming out, Mike? Oh, I have no idea. Um, uh, it's it's Rizdeguer. What is it? I can't, I'm a terrible French. Rudiger. It's actually coming out on Blu-ray in Germany or something like that already, and it's I I have not seen any hint of a U.S. release on it. So. Uh, that one I think is uh, getting dropped into the ether. So Travis's uh, Travis's uh, opinion on it might be the correct one. So, uh, <laughs> I'm more excited for a ter- that how bad that movie could be than almost any other like upcoming good movie. I really, it, it's I don't know, sick <laughs> sick in the head. I'm like, how bad is it? <laughs> um, all right, well I think we're going on two hours. I think that's a good time to wrap us up. So Vice, where can people find you? Oh, uh, I am on Instagram, being hot, eating good food, uh, living my life, even though, you know, we all have our ups and downs, you know. Uh, here, I'll tell you, the, I haven't said it yet, but um, so a couple weeks ago, uh, somebody jacked my catalytic converter from my car, <laughs> which is like, you know, uh, one of the um, uh, big pretty crimes going around now. And, you know, it's like, it would have been like, whatever, because, you know, insurance, you know, yeah, shit, shit happens. But apparently the, uh, there's like a back a back order on catalytic converters because of supply chain issue we you know post covid so like it would have been better off if they stole my car because now i'm just sitting at home with no car <laughs> but you know that, that that's must the extent of my my serious problems in life right now otherwise did I'm you, did you get in the car and turned it on and have that feeling like you were de niro oh, yeah. in casino because oh, yeah. that, yeah. that happened to me too it, it's one of the worst feelings in the world I'm like I got, I got shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And your car, I, mine, mine is it's a it's a Toyota Sequoia, so it's super easy for them to to get under because it's already kind of a high SUV. And um, I was outside my work. This was I don't know, like six six seven years ago. And yeah, when you turn the engine, and all of a sudden, you know, you're you're flying through the air in your pink uh, <laughs> suit. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, as as I say, it should happen. So yeah, but otherwise, I'm. I'm I can't complain otherwise, you know. I'm I'm still alive, still living life, so doing good things on Instagram. I'm on uh, Letterboxd, trying to be smart, uh, as I speak this. And I'm on Twitter, as always, talking all this shit, talking shit back. Hey, yo, look, I, I said it before earlier, like, yo, if y'all want to talk shit to me on Twitter, bring it. But just know that, like, like, you can't bring, don't bring no fucking smoke to me about, oh, this is a morally inferior, or it's propaganda, or it's bad for the, dude, I, I fucking killed babies, man. Like, you can't bring that shit to me. Like my 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 threshold of what you think is good and righteous is, is does not compute to me. So you gotta bring some real shit. If you want to talk shit to me, bring some real shit. Don't be a fucking like whiny ass liberal or dumbass conservative. Like oh, you, you, this guy's bullshit. Ah, fuck you, man. I, I'm I'm a, I'm beyond that shit, baby. Anyway, at Vice Victor's talking all the shit. Come bring it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I miss that man. We hadn't had like <laughs> had a good like uh pop off in a while. That was great. <laughs> oh that, that just tickle just fuck fuck everybody. I yeah, I, I got people that were like arguing with me about a Spielberg tweet that I did from from what he it was literally the words from his own mouth 
that I just put into a kind of a, a joke tweet calling him a Sigma. And they're like, that's not true. He preps. He does all. I'm like, dude, I'm, fuck, I'm not a fucking like there. guy was like, what about the, the children? What about the people that you're you're selling these legends to? That's not how what his process is. I was like, what if I don't give a shit? And I'm just fucking at the DGA. <laughs> and I'm just like telling you what the guy said on stage. And I'm having a bit of fun. I'm not a goddamn reporter. Um, anyway. Um, thank you, Vice and and Mike and Mike. Uh, I you know I just wanted to say again, I I love the tattoo. I love everything that you're doing, and uh, I hope I hope everything is well on your end. Exactly. Uh, thank you. Very well. Oh, by the way, speaking of which, if in case people wondering, you, I'm not going to post this video, but uh, it looked like I was drinking a beer today. It's actually a a non alcoholic IPA, and it actually doesn't taste like deer piss. Uh, <laughs> hey, all right. All like beers taste like deer piss, but this one's from uh, Lagunitas, and so I have a hunch it might actually taste pretty good, and it does actually taste pretty good. So um, there we go. So that's enough. Yourself, yeah. yeah, you can find the show uh, at A4E Podcast on Twitter, or go to Linktree slash A4E Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Hibachi Justice, where I am not engaging with anybody. I have ignored <laughs> multiple tweets uh, at me lately because I'm just not interested in engaging. Um, I'll, I'll tweet out into the ether, but. Uh, um and uh yeah and uh you're listening to us so you can you know you can find us anywhere podcasts can be found let's do this again next week boys love you both you guys doing big things